0: everybody
1: recording live from somewhere okay welcome back to the bomb diaries podcast we're doing another solo one here tonight i appreciate you listening i gotta be honest i feel kind of self-conscious when i do the solo ones but i've talked to a number of you who say that you like hearing them and it's going to be a few days before I get another guest, so I figured in the meantime, I'll just ramble like an idiot myself and creep out my neighbors for whatever they can hear about this. So thanks for listening, and like I said, you guys reached out and said that you like these solo ones, so I'm going to do more of them. Uh, you've been listening to the episodes in, in full force, and I appreciate it, so I'm going to do more of them. So if you want to hear even more of these, um, we're, we're getting a good listenership right now. If you would be so kind as to go to in your iTunes app, if you're listening on that, and give a five-star review, uh, we can really pump up those numbers for as many of you are listening, and the more more that those hit, the more that iTunes recommends this podcast to complete strangers, uh, the strangers that we haven't found yet, at least, um, the more they'll listen, and the more they listen, and the more you listen, the more I'll do, so it'll keep filling itself and in the meantime like i said thank you so much for everyone listening uh here and abroad we've got a broad listenership now in europe for whatever reason Uh, we picked up some listeners in australia i'm guessing i've talked about being syrian enough that we picked up some in the middle east and lebanon and uh, everywhere else thank you so much i don't know why you listen but i appreciate that you do tonight for the solo podcast we're talking about a particular theme i've been doing comedy for about five and a half years now And tonight we're going to talk about almost fights that have happened to me or happened upon me or that I almost happened upon someone else because I am still a 33-year-old child that can't seem to get all the testosterone and youthful ego out of his way. And these things happen, especially I'm starting to think around summertime, where I live here in Bakersfield is a desert and starting... Around mid-May, we get to 100-degree temperatures that don't subside until deep into the fall, and we're kind of right in that time now. And I just happened to notice that there may be, at least off the top of my head that I thought of before I turned this recorder on, about five or six incidents where I got too uncomfortably close to being in a physical confrontation from a comedy show. And I think almost all of them were in the summer and out of the six i could think of off the top of my head two of them happened last week so i'm going to i'll give you a history of some of the things that have happened at different venues so far and then we'll just talk about this past week now i have a number of friends that have gotten punched headbutted kicked beer bottles thrown at them uh, people have tried to slash their bodies, while they were on stage, people have slashed their own wrists and body parts. While the comedian friend of mine was on stage, I personally, so far, have not gotten into a physical fist or otherwise fight while on stage, but have gotten too close a number of times. I've I've mentioned quite a bit that where I started in town was this place called Martini's, that was just a madness war zone. If you listen to some of the old episodes, you'll you'll hear about it. Basically, there were the place would be loaded to the brim with nefarious characters. There people with ankle bracelets on were the best characters. People with guns, they'd show us their guns while we were on stage. Uh there were a number of alleged murders in and around the premises. Um it was it was crazy. The second time I ever did stand up there, I talked about it on the episode with Bruce Gray because we kind of brought in the place at the same time. We were, we were there for the start and finish of Martini's. My second week ever at Martini's Lounge, a man tried to rush the stage and I had to put my hand on his chest and push him off of the stage. And then later on, when another friend of mine was on stage, he went back on stage and security grabbed him I tried to grab him, and then about 12 of his friends <laughs> didn't like the way that I had confronted him. And so they confronted, one or two of them confronted me, and I had a bad attitude right back. And then they all left the club at the same time and went and circled my, at the time, Pontiac vehicle with the Pennsylvania license plate after I just spent five to 10 minutes telling everybody that I had just moved out from Pennsylvania, so they knew where I was. They were waiting by my car to probably shoot me or stab me or try to stomp me or whatever was gonna happen. And so this was on a Wednesday night at the time, and it was still daylight out. We would go from six to eight p.m., and at eight p.m., I believe it was still daylight out. And I was just about to walk outside, and everybody kind of knew what had happened, and they saw the crowd of people around my car, and, and everyone's like, well, it was good luck. If it doesn't work out, it was nice knowing you. And it got to that point where I'm not going to call the cops. For whatever reason, I don't have... I know it's not snitch, but I don't have snitch in my bones. And I've talked about this, and I'm trying to work it into my act. Growing up in a small town, in a rugged town, and where I've grown up back in, in the Northeast, it was drilled into my body not to tell. even Even when... I was being threatened or I was being... When I was younger, I got picked on and bullied a lot, like a lot of kids do. And it took until I was late into my adolescence, even to early adulthood, before I started doing something about it to work on myself to become a more physically formidable person. But even when I was... You know, if someone took my book and threw it, if someone punched me during class in seventh grade, if somebody... Whatever... Whatever somebody was doing, if a teacher kind of saw or if somebody kind of had an idea, you're just, for me, you were just going to have to find out another way because I wasn't telling. You're going to have to figure this shit out. I'll never, <laughs> I'll never forget. I had a kid sitting behind me who was kind of like a friend. We were kind of frenemies or like a Freddy, like he was a friend or a f- a friend bully, like he was a friend, but he kind of fucked with me and I didn't like it but I felt like if I expressed that I didn't like it, it would have turned into just complete fucking with me. So I just kind of allowed it. Again, this is 12, 13-year-old shit. We were in science class, and it was one of those desks that was connected to the chair. And he, he grabbed, he put his feet on the back of the chair prongs, the legs of the chair, and then he put his hands on the backrest of my chair and started pulling me up but the desk was connected to the chair. So it just looked like my desk in school was doing a huge wheelie. Like, it looked like I was standing my desk straight up and down in the air while the science teacher, Mrs. Hoy, if you're out there, if you're you're a listener, Mrs. Hoy was uh, writing something on the chalkboard and she turned around, he timed it, he tried to time it so when she turned around he would let me go, but he was slow one time And let it go just as she was turning around. And as she turned around, my desk crashed to the floor and made a loud noise. And she kind of saw it hit the ground as it happened. And she looked at me and yelled at me and was like, what are you doing? I'm going to send you to the office if you... What happened? And I just... I'm not going to tell. I wanted to say, hey, it's not me. It's this kid behind me messing with me. But it just where we were at least for me it was not in my bones to do that so i just looked and shrugged of i i i can't tell you what happened nothing happened i i i don't know and she just looked at me like i was a, a complete it like there was something wrong with me and there was but i you also learned in these increments that that you if you don't if you stick to if you stick together as a unit again we're a small class we're like 82 kids you stick together as a unit, You, if you police yourselves, you're not going to get in trouble. And this is something sprung from a real story that I, I'm trying to turn into a bit, but I, I can't get the beats on it right yet. To And don't fucking write and, t- and tell me how to do it. I, <laughs> one of the things I'm always hesitant to do is tell people I'm working on a bit and I just can't get it right yet. I'm saying that. I'm saying, just saying that thinking out loud because I don't have it where I want to yet, but I've really, I've been thinking of the steps on how to make it and at some point it'll either lock into place or it won't. But the worst thing you can do oftentimes when someone tells you like, "Ah, I'm working on a bit and is to just start firing out bullshit because I've been thinking about this story. This story happened when I was 13. It's been in the back of my brain for 20 years. And I've been thinking about it for like six months, trying to get it right. So unless you're a genius and it's perfect timing, you're not—you're not gonna nail it if you just start word vomiting before I even tell you what I'm thinking about. So with that said, don't write me about this. But I'm trying to figure out a way to make this work. About because because of that, I—you kind of learned that lesson. I remember being on a, getting on a school bus and school bus, I remember seated 72 kids and this day, I believe it was full and it was, it was called the loser cruiser when you were above 16, which I still wrote it then, but this is when I was under 16, I was like 13 years old and I got on this bus in Shenandoah square mile town. So everybody's kind of going to a couple corners of the town and that's pretty much it. And the bus is full. And this kid gets on the bus who is like one of the bad kids in school uh, who turned to be getting trouble in life. You never think that the bad kid in school is going to actually go to jail. You just feel like, you know, they're the bad kid in school and then they become whatever they become, an accountant or they're, you know, they're a boss at the factory somewhere, whatever the whatever they do. But this kid, this kid was real. He turned into a real in trouble guy. I think he was 15 or 16 at the time. And this is, this is Shenandoah, northeast Pennsylvania in the wintertime. And what happens back there, as many of you know, is it'll snow. And it's beautiful for a couple hours. And then it, a lot of it turns into gray slush. But then after a day or two, it turns into this hard, compact... I can't explain what, what compound it is. But it's, it's not quite ice. And it's not quite snow. It's just a miserable, crunchy, hard thing. Well, this kid brings like three snowballs onto the bus in his hoodie. I'm like, oh, shit. And he was like, he was pushing kids on his way into the, he's going to be a problem on his way into the bus. And on this particular night, we have this bus driver whose name was Mark, but he kind of looked like, uh, he kind of looked like Jeffrey Dahmer with more hair. But we didn't know who Jeffrey Dahmer was back then. So we called him Jesus. It's a true story. I have a really good friend who's a who's a funny comic in town who's got a bit about uh, a f- a friend a person in his his life that he knows named Jesus that he calls Jesus. So I got to stay away from it because it's too I've too much of a t- it's it's I could drift into Jesus puns for the bit, but Kurt's already got that bit, so that's out. Uh, So that's that's another addition to the complexity of this bit. I tried it on and tried to run it past him of like, do you feel like these bleed into each other? And he was too nice to say no, but I just didn't feel comfortable after a while having them bleed in, so I got to cut the Jesus out, unfortunately, because one of the things about this guy was he hated being called Jesus by us. He didn't mind when the girls said it for some reason, but he hated it when... The young dude, which I guess I kind of get that. He could have, by the way, he could have beat the shit out of all of us. That's what's funny about being a teenage kid is you cock off to mall security guards, bus drivers, substitute bus drivers, some teachers, anyone who could beat the piss out of you when you're 13, but you just don't care. We get on the bus and Jesus is driving today um, instead of our typical bus driver and we always messed with him a little bit more. Our our typical bus driver was this guy named Sabin, and he was this big. We thought he was a Native American guy, but I think he was just a I think he was just an Italian dude. And he was he was he, We didn't mess with him. He was a powerful guy, and he you knew it. Like he commanded respect on the bus, and he was one of those guys. Th- this shit was back in like two thousand nineteen ninety nine and two thousand he was wearing those Chi-Chi rodriguez energy band, the metal energy band around your wrist he was he was fucking with the chi back then and he was one of those guys that he would he would make you he would make the boys shake his hand when they were getting off the bus and he'd do that thing where he'd squeeze your hand and roll your knuckles together so to hurt your hand really bad, especially when you're a fucking kid but he would do it just to let you know just to let you know where you stand and it, I guess it was the right move, considering how he treated mark Sabin so wasn't there. Mark slash Jesus slash Jeffrey Dahmer was our bus driver. And we get onto the bus. Bad Kid's got snowballs in tow, in hand. And we start going. There's this little loop in our school, and then it takes you out to the highway. As we turn out onto the highway and get ah, maybe an eighth of a mile down the road, Bad Kid pulls one of these hybrid snow ice balls out of his hoodie and whips it at Mark's head, the bus driver, and it cracks the bus driver <laughs> in the back of the head. And I, I was sitting in a position. I was right next to the bad kid, and I could. It was. It was a he. If he threw that snowball a hundred times, he was not an an extremely athletic guy. I think he was a pitcher in Little League, but. If he threw that snowball a hundred times, it would not have hit Mark's head the way it hit him square in that back of the dome, that part where you, where the where the cranium meets, and wow, just blasted in all directions off of his head, and it hit him hard like it sent his head forward. Now this guy's driving a bus, he's driving a school bus with us in it, forty-five miles an hour. The bad kid could have gotten us killed doing that. He could have easily veered off the road and crashed the bus, or veered into oncoming traffic. Even worse, and we had this—the rest of us had this semi-like shriek of horror, slash laughter as children, slash fear of like what's going to come next. That feeling that when you know you're in trouble and you know you should be scared, but it just feels too. It just feels too enticing to not laugh and giggle and somewhat enjoy it, even even though you know it's about to be on. Mark stops the bus, middle of the road, gets up and starts screaming. I thought he was going to come back and just start kicking us. He goes, that's it. We're going back to the school. Everyone, until I find out who it is, everyone in this bus is getting expelled. He didn't even curse. He was probably a nice guy. I don't know, like... You know how you had those people growing up that were just an asshole because you and or your friends and or other kids you were afraid of just decided they were an asshole? He was one of those. He pulls up in front of the school, slams the bus door open, gets out, slams it shut, and before he slams it shut, tells it, don't anybody move. If I don't find out who threw the snowball, you're getting expelled. And this is, I mean, no one had a cell phone. So he had to walk into the office. And here's why I'm talking about unity and not snitching. First of all, the town was small enough that if you snitched, you were dead. Like, you better be able to beat up the bad kid and his friends or have enough friends to fight with you if you were going to snitch. I wasn't going to snitch. No one else was going to snitch because there's only 72 of us on this bus. And at any given time, we're going to do some stupid shit. We were, we were dummies. So something was going to happen at some point and you needed everyone else to take up for you. And all you had to do was get the label of being a tattletale one time and then you ain't in on anything. And you're, I mean, that's, that's it. So the bad kid, as they tend to be, was a little more savvy than the rest of us. Jesus walks into the school, closes the bus door. As soon as he's out of eyesight, I keep almost saying the bad kid's name. The bad kid knows exactly what to do. He goes, grabs the handle to open that bus door. He slams it open, runs out, and yells for everybody to go. And we all look at each other like, are we really going to do this shit? And of course we do. So everyone, to my knowledge, every single one on the bus got up, ran out, ran home again square mile town so everyone can get home in 10 minutes especially jogging while giggling with only book bags on and just just giggling our asses off but running down the main street so they they if they wanted to chase us they could have caught at least a couple of us luckily i didn't see them while i was running home and i got home and i just remember thinking boy this is this is going to be bad. <laughs> and so the next day we got picked up by Sabin. He was bad. obviously Mark was not going to pick us up. Sabin picked us up and told us, "I don't know what you guys did, but you're in for it today." And uh we get to school and as we're walking through the audit- walking through the lobby, we hear an announcement that like I forget what what the name of the bus was, like if you were on Z34 or B Whatever. Go directly to the auditorium. I'm like, oh fuck, it's my bus. So I walk into the auditorium, and all of us from that bus route are there. And and Mark is there, principal's there, superintendents there, who was a really cool guy. Stanley Rakowski, who's since passed away, but he was such a cool guy, so good to us as students, really treated us well, for especially for being in a, in a high position in the schooling system. He's standing there, and now we're like, oh, it is. We are done. And we walk in, and we sit down, and the superintendent says, okay, Mark told us about the incident that happened on the bus yesterday, and when we came back out, we noticed that most of you had ran off of the bus and left instead of following Mark's instructions and sorting this out. So we need to find out who threw the snowball. If we find out who threw it, only that person's going to get in trouble. If we don't find out who threw it, everyone who ran off the bus will be at least suspended and possibly expelled. Now, if you stayed on the bus, you can go back to class. We're... You're not in trouble. So if, if you left and ran off of the bus when Mark came in here, stay in this auditorium and you're at least suspended until we find out who did this. If you stayed on the bus, go ahead and get up and go back to class. Nothing else to worry about. And when he said that, every single kid in that auditorium got up, and walked out. No, nothing was even said. Like no one said, like, "All right, guys, let's go." Somebody got up. It was probably the bad kid, and started to make his way out. And we all just kind of knew it worked yesterday. We're not dead yet. We got to stick to the guns here, and no one's sticking around to rat. I can explain getting suspended for something I didn't do. I can't explain why I ratted and didn't take the chance. All of us got up. <laughs> And wa- I, don't, I still to this day don't know who stayed on the bus and who went because every, I know how many left. It had to be just about everybody left. I don't know if anybody stayed, but everybody left that auditorium and Mark was snapping. And that was the last we heard about any of it. And, and that kind of sat in the back of the brain of like, oh, yeah, small group, tight group, you need each other. Even when it's wrong sometimes, even if it's, if it's minorly wrong, of course, if the bad kid would have murdered the bus driver, we got to kind of explain that. But if he hit him with a snowball, you don't tell. You don't tell him the minor shit. And we, and we got away with it. It never, it never surfaced again. True story. Um, I don't know if you remember being in school. I remember being in school when Columbine happened. And it changed everything. You couldn't bring a book bag to class. Like everything was different from a security standpoint. But also, it was a huge influx of copycats. So every other day for for a stretch, we were getting a call of someone threatened to shoot up the school. Someone threatened, uh, would put in a bomb threat. And then one time, we got something that was a, a very credible bomb and shooting threat. They said they were going to have like, snipers on the roofs and they said they were going to bring guns into the school and they said there were bombs in the school already like they the whole deal and i guess it was so serious that they took the whole school out of class and took us up to the football field now we had the we had a high school connected to the elementary school but the high school they let us out and they sent us where you would go you'd go outside the school and you'd have to go up a large staircase which was outdoors at, or go up this this hill up an alleyway behind the school and it would take you to the football field. The football field is about a block and a half away and then there's this big parking lot football field. So they put us there on the bleachers and on the track around it. And we were there for maybe two hours, the whole school. And it was a serious threat and we had had a couple of them. And this was off the heels of Columbine. And I remember after two hours, we're wondering like, is the school gonna blow up? Can Someone said they had snipers on the roof. Can people see us here from the roof like we were concerned? At some point, the faculty or administration, whoever it was, came to us at the football field and made a yelling announcement that they swept the school and did not find anything. And I think this was on like a Friday. They didn't find anything, and so we were going to, in an orderly fashion, make a single file (laughs) line and walk back down to the school and i don't know if it was what we learned from the bus i don't know if it was just ingrained after the year in everybody i don't know who started it but someone or some group of us just said fuck this not going back in that school and we maybe had maybe had 400 kids in the school total it's 7 through 12 6th grade grades we maybe had 400 450 when they announced that we were going to go back in that school the entire student body rushed like we someone made a turn like they were going to go into the school uh, like so you turn when you walk out you turn right to go down the alleyway hill to get back to the school you turn left to go away from it toward Glover's hill for you insiders A couple people, I think, made a pump fake that they were going to go right or seriously considered it for a second and then broke left and then 400 to 450 kids ran out of the football field, broke left, said, fuck you and bounced and did not go back to school. We called it a day, son. That's that's all the school we get today. And that's what we did. It was amazing. I can I I'll never forget seeing the mass of people just take off. And again, no one got in trouble. We made in in that situation we made the right call. We stuck together. We made the right call. We kept each other safe by the time we went back to school the next week, we were all good to go. That was my long-ass winded way of telling you that I couldn't call the cops when 13 to 15 people surrounded my car because it's not in me. So in a stupid way, I was more willing to accept being probably trampled than that. And at some point, I was like, all right, I just got got to leave now. And I've said this before, but uh, Ben Bradley, who was a comic back then, who's since become a beast, I would definitely take him on my side now. He's this big time power lifter down in San Luis Obispo. He goes to me, he goes, wait, wait for me in this kind of Clint Eastwood voice. And I I just, it gave me a laugh. I was like, all right, Ben, just me and you against the 15 of them now. And he wasn't a power lifter back then. Like, uh, so he's like, "Wait for me. I got to pay my bar tab and then we'll go. So I was like, all right, Ben. He turned to pay his bar tab and I turned around and left him because I, I, it's the last thing I needed at that point was someone else to keep an eye on. And I walked outside and they just, I know they didn't see me. They just happened to tire of it when I walked out. As I was walking outside, the group just kind of fell away into their cars and, and drove away and, and went on about their business, thankfully. God knows what could have happened. But that was number one. That was physical confrontation from a comedy show-ish number one. Um, boy, what else? Uh luckily luckily comedians are a non-confrontational bunch because I've been in conflicts with some of them and I've been on the edge a few times of like I'm I'm never going to haul off at least at least I can't imagine ever hauling off and just giving it to somebody but there's been a couple times that if they were ready I was ready and they were they were of a formidable size enough that we could make it happen and luckily they were having one of their at least more composed moments um so that, so that was avoided but Comedian conflict happens all the time. You hear about that quite a bit. And the bigger the scene, the more it happens. Uh, the smaller the scene, I think the more intense it probably has a ripple effect. But luckily, no, no strong. But I've, I've gone in a few times um, and, and not, not proud of it. Working on it. Getting better. Very slowly getting better. The second time I can remember off the top of my head was at my room. Temple Brewing Company, and I think I've talked about this uh, in an overview before, but not quite in detail. There was this guy who started coming out to the open mic for a while, really nice guy, big dude, <clears throat> country dude, and he had a big following. So anytime he would come out, he'd have 30 or 40 people with him. And at that time, we weren't getting huge crowds in this, in this stretch, so there may have only been 15... Or twenty other people all altogether, so the crowd was mostly his, and you got to be really careful about shit like that and they were rowdy, and they used to drink their i mean drink drink we we have they have drinks at tumbler that are the size of like a the size of like a paper towel roll the inside of a paper towel roll is is basically what it looks like it's that high, and we're talking like seven eight nine ten percent alcohol, and these people are nail just just hammering freaking, you know, eight to 10 of these in a three hour night. I mean, there were, there were so many bottles of wine on the, they were just getting crushed. And for a couple of weeks in a row it would get really rowdy. So I told this guy, I was like, look, your, your crowd gets too rowdy. I'm going to put you up at the end of the night so, because otherwise they all sit in the middle and then they file out after you're done. And now there's a hole in the middle of the room and it makes it awkward. So I was like, all right, I'm just, I'm going to try to do crowd control and put you up on the end. Well, that didn't work either. He's like, no, 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 I won't, make, I won't let him do that. I'll make him stay. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to put you up really early. So this night I put him up really early, and that didn't work either because now they're like, hey, night's off. Our guy just went up. We get to just we get to turn this into Roadhouse now. We don't have to worry about keeping decorum. Our guy already went up and went down, who gives a shit about the rest of these punks. So they proceed to get annihilated. And like I said, there's 30 or 40 of them. And a couple really start yelling out and heckling and you deal with hecklers how you can. And there were these two ladies that kept kept screaming out. So I started kind of dealing with them from the stage and making comments and shutting them down a little bit. And they were there with their husbands. And the husbands kind of had a puss on it, but they looked like they were trying to quiet down the wives. And it just looked like a whole mess. Finally, I get the show done with. And the the wives are all pissed off. And as I'm putting cords away, I'm wrapping up the cords for the microphone and all that. The two husbands come up to me, and now they're plastered. And one of them's like, hey, man, hey you could have been you could have been more respectful, and I made this mistake that I tend to make is I tried to ration and reason with a drunk person, and I tried to explain in a kind of a stern way because I found it galling that they would say anybody else was disrespectful after how disrespectful they were and I tried to in a stern way explain why they were wrong, and you might as well i, I mean what at what point are you going to take someone who's hammered drunk and make them go oh yeah i see what you're saying they're they're a mess so at one point they start to get a little bit puffed up and i lose control a little bit and kind of Kind of lean on them. Lean, lean. There's a thing you can do that a, a lot of you will know what I'm talking about. You kind of, ex- without being physical, you kind of exert yourself over someone. You get a little bit closer. You lean over a little bit on them. You widen your shoulders out a little bit. You stretch your arms out a little bit toward them. You you're a little more expressive with your hands in their general just to just to kind of. It's just—it's a natural reaction of like it. It could be, man. It could. It could be right. I'm gonna do my best, but it could be right here, for just a second. And then I saw them. Like I saw in the eyes, they calmed down a little bit, and I and I got a hold of myself right away. And then as so, they're calm. I'm calm. But then their wives come up to like like hold them back. And as soon as that happens, they just. They're, oh, they're ready for war now, as as that tends to be. And I kind of relate. I put them in a tough spot. I put them in a tough spot in front of, in front of their companions. So now they have to put on a face. I've kind of put them in an unwinnable... They were dickheads, but I kind of put them in an unwinnable scenario where they had to be confrontational. So they start pretending that they want to fight now. And they're kind of like kind of like dumpy out of shape dudes that kind of look like jobbers like wrestlers who get paid to get beat all the time like one guy like the, like a like the they have both kind of look like the brooklyn brawler like they're not you know just whatever guys and now so they start rushing the wives start trying to hold them back then some other ladies start yelling And now, like, a mass of people just starts coming towards me. Three or four other guys start chirping and all this. And finally, the crowd gets somewhat settled down. And then out of the 30 people, the one guy who was part of the rowdy group who was actually, he had had something to him. The one guy who, if it would have, like, if it would have, the only guy who actually would have fought had a little too much to drink. And he starts... Snapping. Now there's a bunch of people between he and I and he starts snapping. And I think he takes off his hoodie and he's like, I know I know what you are. I know what you are, dude. I know what you are, dude. You know shit. You know shit. I know you know shit. I know I know Gracie's shit too. <laughs> I know I know Gracie's shit too. Let's fuck it, let's do this right in here. And I'm going, dude, enough. Enough. He's like, I know that shit too. I'm like, No, you don't. Or you wouldn't act like... Again, I'm like an idiot trying to reason with a drunk person. You wouldn't act like this. Oh, fuck you. And finally, it gets calmed down. And and this is one of the places... Temblor is the kind of place where you can't... We can't have this. It's a family establishment. Whether I'm right or wrong, I got to do... Whether I am an aggressor or not, I've got to do everything I can to make sure that a confrontation does not break out. Even if someone... Even if someone just runs up and attacks me for no re- i got to do my best to minimize that because if any kind of a scuffle happens, even if I were a thousand percent in the right, it's over. They can't have that problem so even if i'm even if I'm a hundred percent right, let alone if I'm only eighty two percent right, which on this given night was probably the case, got it calmed down and it was good. I was kind of steaming, but I was kept it under control. And here was the part where I was stupid. I think it was the next night, or maybe the following Thursday, we were at Rocket Shop Cafe. And the comic who has the huge following was out there. And there were like six or eight of his people sitting in the corner of the room. Now, Rocket Shops are home. And I would never cause a problem in there. But there's a road behind rocket shop that stretches really far that that's really dark and really uninhabited that if you want to take a if you just want to take a quick stroll where no one can see us and hear us and no one really owns that property we i'd be we can certainly go there if you're an idiot which i was at this point and i saw I saw the people in the corner and saw what looked like the guy from that night, and I just made a beeline towards him, of like, "Hey, you're sober now. Are, do we still have that problem we did yesterday?" In a moment of losing self-control, I just, I just acted and went, and I went to lean down on the table, to to lean in towards him from across the table, and at the corner, one of the other, one of the ladies goes, "That's not him. That's not him." These are, these are different people. And I was like, oh, God, I'm sorry, man. I, I'm so sorry. And it wasn't him. Like, dude, I, they weren't even there the night before. I'm like, oh, fuck, I, I'm so sorry. I thought you were another guy. My apologies. But even even if it was that guy, what the fuck was I doing at 31 or 32? You'd think I'd be over this shit now. I'm trying to turn this into a bit because I'm trying to work through it. I don't know what this stupid testosterone ridden thing is but i but i'm also conflicted by it because i hate i hate bullies i hate aggressors and i hate people that are blatantly disrespectful and threaten that threaten with that violence and it makes me it makes me irate in the other direction it's it's why i started taking steps late in life to become physically formidable myself, because I was so tired of being fucked with, and tired of being afraid, and tired of being vulnerable. So when I see somebody now acting like that douchebag, the first thing I think of is like. Usually, I'm not worried about. The, I'm not worried about the guy either. It, I can control something from happening, or if something happens, I feel comfortable to defend myself or get out of there or whatever I need to do but i know a lot of people who i would be i would be uh, i would be heartbroken to learn that they were in that situation because they they don't have that luxury or maybe or maybe wouldn't know what to do in the spot and so i immediately think of them doing it to that person and just want to just yeah so part of me is like why are you getting involved in this you're too old for this shit and anyway What's what's going to come out of it? But part of me's going, oh, fuck, I'll tell you what's going to come out of it. One thing's going to come out of it. One thing's going to come out of it. This piece of shit's going to think about it before he acts like this again. But it's, I can't get arrested or killed or beat up or beat someone up or f- break my fucking hand and I can't do my j- right and do my job now b- because, ooh, big deal. So it, it's a weird push and pull and I'm trying to work through it so I, I guess the best way to do that's on stage. And, I, and I'm trying to drag something out of that right now. But anyway, that guy who, who tried to fight me uh, that particular Wednesday, who I tried to have a conversation with the next day, a couple weeks later, we're at a Tumblr show. I'm at a Tumblr show, and there's there's a good-sized crowd there, and the, the comic with the large following's back. And as, as as it happens, the more you do comedy, the more the following dwindles. As personal friends, the more the following dwindles and midway through the show i look and standing in about the middle of the room is the guy who tried to fight me in the same venue and he's kind of in the back of the room and he's kind of not he's kind of not making eyes with me and i saw him kind of sneak in and as long as he's not disturbing anybody i'm not i'm not going to go over to him and then at one point i just kind of looked at him while he looked at me and we caught it and just kind of <laughs> shared a laugh and i was like hey man how how are and just kind of had that i've got no problem with that like as soon as i've been in a spot where i've been stupid um in these stories i've been in a spot where i've been stupid and and i try my best to control myself and my instincts and i think most people try to do that too and luckily in most cases when someone else steps out of they're enraged to the point where they can't let it go hopefully i'm at a point where i can hold myself back and i hope for the same courtesy that when when i'm acting too much a fool hopefully someone else has their better self in front of them that it doesn't turn into an issue so we kind of kind of share that a good a good beef is great for a friendship most of my especially my back-home friends. Most of my best friends started in a conflict. One of my best friends in the world started. We almost fought two or three times and didn't talk to each other for about six months. And I don't know how we didn't get in a fight because this is the kind of kid, my buddy Sean, who was straight out of Center City, Philly, who would punch you sooner than look. There's no excuse. He, like he, he would never take a reason to not punch you when we were kids, and he can can throw him. And some we almost got into it a couple of times, and somehow we didn't. And then eventually we just exchanged fuck yous to, as in passing enough. At some point we just started laughing, and and beca- you know that stupid young dude energy, and, beca- and a lifelong lifelong friend. So there's something that a there's something that a beef accomplished can do for a friendship, and I can't explain it. Especially if it's a person that you know could do work, um, and and then and then it settles out. It's like a it's good. So that was that. Um, one of my favorite things that that didn't almost become a fight, but it, like it it was just silly. Happened at this place called uh, uh, Firehouse in Bakersfield. It's on Calloway. Nice spot. Uh, We did an open mic there for a while, and they were really good and generous with us. Just the layout of the room didn't work out for comedy. There was no place to partition us, and it's a family establishment, which is not really conducive to what we do. So in order for us to not horrify the guests, the sound would have to be turned down enough on the microphone, and the sound on the music playing in the venue had to be up loud enough that the bowlers underneath of us wouldn't hear us, but the crowd also couldn't really hear, we are getting drowned out too. So it was just a tough setup. It didn't. It didn't work out for that reason. But they were really good to us. And the staff would come up and hang out with us and sit at the bar. There'd be like 10 or 15 of them sometimes that would come. But I never really knew who they were. And this one night, I'm there, and I'm like going to be third or fourth on the list. And they say, the owner's here, the owner's here. And all of a sudden, as the show starts, this one guy won't stop heckling. And this guy, he's maybe in his 40s, maybe maybe 50, maybe in his 40s. He's got like a grayish stubbly beard, but he's a man baby. Bakersfield's home, of the, maybe California's home of the man baby. Like just dudes who who are 50, but they dress like they're a Tony Hawk's pro skater. Like where the fuck are you from? This town is so, we- in my zip code, in my zip code 08, there's a neighborhood Where everybody dresses like they are coming out of a. Everybody dresses like they're in like an extra in Joe Dirt. They they dress and sound like they're Kid Rock and Joe Dirt, or like they're fresh out of fucking Duck Dynasty, just just country hillbilly redneck bullshit, and then in the same zip code is another group of dudes who, like I said, they all dress like Rob Deerdeck or like they're in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Fucking what they explain a Kyle as now, like Monster Energy drink, flat brim hat, those dark sunglasses with the thing around the neck, uh, fucking baggy, like Fox Racing, too big T-shirt, either dicky shorts or khaki shorts, high black socks, fucking Skechers, sh- whatever, f- whatever it is, just tattoos on their calves and shit. And somehow both of those, the the country concert and the the Rob Deerdeck Fantasy Factory, they have the same exact attitude, the same the same exact like by in general at their do in the douchiest like in the of the group have that have that they have the same exact sensibility. So I ran into one of these guys. He's he's wearing like a. He's wearing like a flattish brim hat. And like I said, he's got like a gray stubble beard, he's got a huge black T-shirt on, huge like, like acid washed like light blue looking kind of jeans, like pure white, fresh white sneakers. Like just look, if you looked at the guy, you try to not judge people, but it's fun too. <laughs> you would look at this guy and go, oh, that's an asshole. I just, that just looks like an asshole. If everyone remembers Love and Marriage, you remember when, you remember after the show when like they followed, they did like Where Are They Now with Bud Bundy. I forget what I forget what his name is. Bud Bundy. He he owned like hip hop nightclubs, and what he looked like when they interviewed him about owning hip hop nightclubs. That's what this fucking guy is dressed with, and he's like, like late forties, and he won't stop heckling. And I don't know who he is. So finally, I get on stage, and he starts yelling right away, and I'm like, oh, God!" They, I said. They, they said, they said the owner's here, and I pointed to the bar where where the staff was, and I said, "Is is that the owner?" And they all go, "No, no, 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 no," and I said, G- "Good, that guy, that's not the guy. Who's the that guy? Is not the the owner." He doesn't look like the owner. That guy is not dressed like the owner. That guy is dressed like the owner's son. And and the whole staff busts out laughing. And this dude freaks out. I later found out that he is the son of like a like a heavy business owner in town. Of course he is. And he starts chirping, and then his, his woman tries to settle him down, and then he really starts getting in at it. And he's like, he's eyeballing me, and he's, he's a fucking, like he's a punk of a dude. And he's going like, he won't stop heckling during my set. And finally, like I'm talking about something completely different. And he's, I, I was like, I think I was talking about Valentine's Day. And I'm like, you know what I don't like about Valentine's Day and something about commitment? He's like, no, I'm not. You are. I'm like, dickhead, I'm not talking about you. Do you want me to make this set about you again? I can tell it I can I can tell everyone that you're dressed like vanilla ice t- today and I said I, I told him he was dressed like Villa, vanilla ice but not from back then today. He's dressed like Rob Van Winkle. And everybody everyone likes seeing a heckler being taken down and he got even more upset. So I get off stage and I sit down. And the wife finally gets this guy to leave, but as he starts walking out, he's looking at me and he's mouthing, you wanna go? You wanna go? And he's putting his hands, like fucking Jamie Kennedy in, in Malibu's Most Wanted, like, you wanna go? You wanna go? Fucking par-, and he starts going, parking lot. Starts mouthing, parking lot, parking lot, parking lot. And then he gets to a point, you walk down a hallway into the flight of stairs that leads you out. He's about 50 feet away, And then he gives me the finger, like like the way Eminem gives the finger, and he just holds it, and he's like, "Oh," like he's giving me that like "oh" mouth. He's giving, so he's making me laugh, but also want to kill him. He's like, "Oh," he's giving me that look, but and then going like parking lot, "Oh," parking lot, "Oh," middle Eminem middle finger the whole fucking way, and. And he gets he gets down the stairs and like a, a minute or two goes by, and I gotta leave now. It's time for me to go, and kind I kind of want to see if he's out there, so I go up to I go up to I want to say I want to say the the bartender's name. There was a bartender there whose name was Peyton. And she came up to me after the set and she's like, hi, my name's Peyton, thank you, good set. Uh, Just so you know, we're gonna make sure he doesn't do anything. And I remember saying like, oh, please, don't make sure he doesn't do anything. And she laughed and I laughed and she walked away. And then before I left, I walked up to the bar and I, I said, hey, Peyton, thanks again. And then I shook the owner's hand and I said, hey, thanks again, I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean it to turn into a thing. And the owner said, oh, no, no, don't worry, he's been a problem for a while now and I said oh I wish you'd have said that I'm about to go downstairs and if he's still there I'll solve that problem for you and Peyton laughed and the owner didn't laugh and I was like ah shit shouldn't have said that and I just turned around and walked out and luckily the dude was gone uh, someone told me that he came back the next week and apologized um, so that was nice never saw him again but if you're out there fucking vanilla ice I, I guess I got nothing but love for you there was that one and that brings us to uh god damn i've already been talking for 50 minutes i God, it's i hope you've enjoyed this because this is super self-aggrandizing if you're not getting as much enjoyment out of this as you're claiming um it brings me to this past week um again summertime 50 cents said at the best and summertime's killing season it's hot out in this bitch it's a good enough reason Last week, almost got to two of them, <clears throat> two tussles. I don't even know why. In the middle of our Wednesday night, there were a couple of people yelling out, and I, I dealt with it early on in a, in a lighthearted way, and it was fun. And then about two-thirds of the way through the night, there was this guy and his buddy who came in, and the guy was like a tiny guy. He was, like a, he was tall, he was around my height, but a kind of tiny, skinny, wiry dude baby face looking dude just, you know and he's there with a buddy who was kind of like a decent sized guy a little bigger but kind of dumpy a muffin top and just a fucking soul patch he had a he had a for real he had a soul patch and they keep just being real loud but there's a comic who was on the show right next to them to, yeah and i thought they were his friends So I look at my buddy, Anthony, and I go, hey, hey, comic who was on the show, can you please ask your buddies to... I can hear them from stage. Can you please ask them to not... But I was wrong. They weren't his friends. And he just, when I said that, he just bounced and shot away. And now these two guys are the only ones there. And I get off off stage and I'm walking by and the wiry kid is like, hey, man, we... Fuck you. We weren't even being loud, man. Fuck you. Or no, 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 I'm sorry. I get off stage and the wiry dude is just leering at me, just glaring at me and looking with his face at me. And I was like, are you, are you all right? Are you, all, is, you good? He's like, no, man, I'm not good. Fuck you. Fuck you. I wasn't even being loud. I said, you're being, you were being loud and you're being loud now. Again, trying to reason with a drunk dude. And you're being loud now. You keep it up, I'm going to ask you to leave. And he goes, oh, you're a joke. You're a joke, man. You're a joke. And I caught myself, because I know I'm not going to win an argument with a drunk person, but when he's going, you're a joke, man. You're a joke. I wanted to say, hey, but I know. I know I'm a joke. Dude, I'm 33, and this is how I still spend Wednesdays. You think I don't know I'm a joke? Look at, what, look at my friends. I, these are my best friends I've brought on stage. Just look at them. Do you think these are the friends of a guy who takes his life seriously? I know I'm a joke, and it's a comedy show. I don't know if you know this, but I'm supposed to be a joke. But I just said, look, if you keep being loud, you're going to have to leave. And he said something, and I was like, dude, you're going to go. And then he stopped, yelling at that point. And the buddy was cool, but this guy just grilling me the whole time. I'd be on stage between comics. He's grilling. The buddy's being cool. Soul Patch dude's being okay finally at the end of the show the very the very last comic gets off i get up and i say thank you guys so much for coming out i really appreciate it and i do uh hope you all get home safe hope you come out next week which i do and as i'm saying this again why every dude starts giving me the finger of like yeah like that means something like it hurts like i'm like ah oh, he's giving me ah, the finger but he's not making he's not making the Ooh, he kind of looks like john legend He looked like a tall John legend, so not exactly the most scary guy in the world, but he thought he was. So after the show's over, he walks, he leaves pretty quickly, him and the buddy, and we get the whole thing cleaned up and put away, and that usually takes about 15 or 20 minutes, and then talking to some of the crowd, thanking them again, sharing some stories with them, going back and forth, that's another 15, 20 minutes, so about a half hour goes by, and I go out into the main room side to to say goodnight to the staff like I like I try to do and see a couple more crowd members and we're talking and I've talked to just about everybody in the crowd now except for these two guys and they're sitting belly up to the bar backs facing me and I walk by and I'm like you know what just just try to be the bigger person so I walked up and I said hey no hard feelings guys I appreciate you coming out and watching the show and when I said that the wiry dude turns around and he goes no there are hard feelings motherfucker you're an asshole like in this and that and this and that it's like my god it's like oh whatever man whatever you need but just anyway thanks for coming and i reach out to shake soul patch's hand and soul patch grabs my hand and just like squeezes it like tries to squeeze the fingers and he's like hey 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 and I went to pull my hand back and he squeezed again. So I squeezed his hand with my other one. I said, don't fucking do it. Don't, don't fucking do it. And I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying to just, and he, he, like, he kind of froze up. He was still had an attitude, but just his body froze. He not know what the fuck to do. He froze up, pulled my hand away and I'm, I'm seething at this, just trying again. If I get into something, this place is over but I've never more in my life wanted to get into something than this wiry, oil field dude, dirt bikey dude, and his fucking soul patch friend who I don't know how they could have gotten the idea that this would be a good idea to, to act this way with anybody. And I, I drag myself out of there. And my buddies keep calling to me. And I'm like, hey, I really got to go. I really got to go. And like an idiot, I get in my car, and I'm like, like, somebody, my buddy, another comic, Landon, pointed this out to me, that he whistled to me as I was going to my car, and he said, I turned around, he could tell, I tur- I thought it was them, and he said, I turned around with an excitement that made him, like, he knew that we were out in the parking lot now, and that if they were whistling, we could we could talk about whatever they needed to talk about now, and I and I turned around and I saw it was him and I was like, oh, God, man, I got to run. I'm sorry. I got to run. And then I, I I called a couple of my buddies who I, I kind of partner with on shit here and apologize and said, hey, man, uh, sorry, I, I I didn't get close to putting us in jeopardy, but I got too close for comfort to putting us in jeopardy or losing something that means a lot. Uh, so I just apologize for for apologize for for letting that go on further and making one or two wrong decisions that could have put us in a weird spot but i will say as as moment of maturity we're getting way further out from confrontations than we used to be that was i mean that was pretty it was really tame but it, the the part that bothered me was that the spirit is still there i can't shake that i don't know what it i don't know if it's a sense of at best it's a sense of injustice and and anger at bullies at worst it's ego and self-consciousness and pride and it's probably a cocktail of hopefully more the former than the latter but it's not good and we're we're much better at it like i said it didn't come close to an incident wednesday or thursday but just the the idea that that the fucking fire that's still in there i would think by now it would be gone it just it's just in there So that was that. And then Thursday, last game of the NBA Finals. Spoiler alert, Toronto Raptors won. Golden State lost, which makes me very happy being out here. And we were, for a good portion of the show, a couple of the other comics who are basketball fans, uh, we were sitting out in the main room of Rocket Shop instead of the comedy room of the Rocket Shop watching the game. And I'm never out at the bar. Normally I go into the main room, Immediately, and I don't leave until like 9.30. This is the first time I'm around General Pop during a rocket shop night. And there's these three drunk dudes, drinking dudes, at the corner of the bar. One of them's about 60, the one on the the left-hand side. Kid in the middle on the corner of the bar is about my age. And then a guy on the right-hand side that's about in between on their ages. And I'm talking to my buddies about the game. And every time I, we're, I say something about the game to one of my buddies, one of these guys chimes in and chirps in and says something stupid. They don't know dick about basketball. That's evident. They And and they're, they're even less intellectual about their life assertions. But I'm just letting it go, like, smiling, like, yeah, there it is, man. There it is. Because, you know, at a certain point, like I said, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to go, yeah, like, where would... I'm not going to change you. And where would I even begin to, like... Sounds good, man. And then, as the game gets closer, I'm getting closer to the TV, so I'm closer to the bar because it's a—I mean, it's a—it's going to go down to the wire. And these guys start—the the guy in the middle, who's my age, at the corner of the bar is a pretty quiet dude, but the other two on the ends, they start saying some pretty foul shit and some pretty racial shit and like they say something about Mexicans and i got a buddy out there who's Mexican and Guatemalan and then they start saying something about black people and i had a buddy out at the bar who's black and they're saying this shit and it's not, it's not really bad but it's like it's it was disrespectful and like i'm trying to i'm trying to hold back and then they start talking about trump and who's not going to go to the white house and i hear somebody make kind of a remark that sounded somewhat derogatory and then the other one's like oh no it's not like that you know he's not throwing the game so he doesn't have to go see Trump but you know he's not going to go see Trump and let me just say I'm not going to get into a political of where you lean and where you or where I feel or anything like that nothing nothing at all like that I've got friends on both sides of the spectrum and can talk about and it's that's not what it's about but what I will say is there are there are, There is a personality type. Um, I don't know if it's a select few or if it's a larger number. I don't know how large the segment is. But there are some people on the heavy Trump proponent side. Same thing is there are people on the heavy gun proponent side. There's a segment of those people that think that it makes them tougher because they like Trump and they like guns and they don't like liberals, and they don't like like progressive things. And again, I'm not passing any judgment on what your beliefs are. I'm, st- I'm strictly talking about the Kyle-type dude who feels like more of a badass because of whatever he prescribes to. Prescribes? Subscribes? I don't fucking know. Whatever he identifies with. And it... Really annoys me because again it takes on that bully mentality and <laughs> it makes me want to say, and I regret to admit that I have said a few times that dude, hey, just because you believe whatever or you vote whatever doesn't make you tougher. I'm not I'll choke the piss out of you I'm a snowflake and and I'll I'll devour you right here. It doesn't make you any more formidable that you're like just just enjoy what you enjoy. don't be an asshole. And don't look down like you're going to start kicking someone's ass now because you're into the, And they had that energy. And finally, I, they were saying this like about the Trump stuff, and I said something pretty benign because they kept, they kept saying stuff to me the whole night, like entering my conversations. So at this point, I'm kind of sitting at the bar, and I, and I said, uh, I said, guys, they said something about not going to the White House, and I said, guys, I don't think there's a team in the league that's going to go see your boy in the White House. And uh, the beat of silence went by. I said, unless Omaha, Nebraska gets a basketball team, I think that's pretty much over. And uh, my buddies that heard it laughed. And I laughed. And then the two guys on the end just kind of launched into like, let me ask you something. Well, they, they should like him. He's done more for those ones, like those ones. They said those ones. He's done more for those ones than any other president did and I was like I said those ones I was like let me ask you this and he started talking about black employment unemployment and I was like dude guys but like and it was the one guy was the main guy the one closest to me the older dude I was like buddy please just enjoy your beer enjoy the game I, I don't I'm not talking to, enjoy your beer I'm not talking to you about this enjoy your beer he goes yeah that's right you're not going to talk about this because oh look guys look he's a liberal He's a liberal, he's a liver And he points his finger, like, not in my face, but close enough to my shoulder that it's kind of in my face. And <clears throat> he's old. So, I, you know, it's, nothing's going to happen. But I was like, dude, I'm not talking about this with you enough. And he's like, yeah, it's a good idea. You better not talk about it with me. And I, I just kind of turned. I said, I better not. I better not. And when I said that, the dude in the middle who's my age and about <clears throat> you know, he's he's sizable enough to deal with this. He he turns back and like gives me like the ice grill. Like he's gonna like he's got something to say. And so he he's got like the other guy's sixty. He's on his own. I can only argue with him. This guy, again, you wanna take a walk down the alleyway and be an asshole. We can go do that. I don't want to. Do, I shouldn't do that. But in my mind, my instincts. Hey, we could do that. And I and I give him like the what, what. And luckily, the guy on the other side of the bar is like, "Hey guys, look, everyone here has got differences of opinion. That's okay. I, we're just not going to talk about it." And I said, "Thank you, thank you, sir." And I, and and the the guy next to me. And but I just feel myself rising in the bar stool of like, and I feel myself getting closer to the other two and my hands are stretching out to them across the bar and they're looking at each other like what the fuck is this guy doing and i see it in my brain and i'm like you're being you you're you're going there again and so finally i'm like all right drag yourself into the comedy room and don't get involved and I do, I drag myself into the comedy room and I walk inside and I take two steps and my brain goes, nope, we're going back out. And I fucking walk back out to the, the, the and, I, and I was just staring at them in the, in the face and I see the two, the guy in the middle and the guy in the end kind of whisper to each other and I'm like, "Nope, go back inside, go back inside, go back inside. And luckily I dragged myself back inside um, didn't come out for like another half hour went out to use the restroom, and the guy in the middle, who was the only one that could really turn into a thing with, had left um, he was gone, and I just went right back into the comedy room, did my set I didn't get out of there till like quarter to ten when I got out when I got out at the end of the night didn't even bother with the bar. they were still there I just just left it where it was like an adult, and went home and that's what I planned to do. Tomorrow, today's Tuesday, tomorrow, Wednesday, if any of these people show up, I'm just gonna just gonna let it go, turn the other cheek, and not give them the finger and go oh parking lot. Oh parking lot. I will not I refuse to be Firehouse's Rob Van Winkle. I refuse to be the Rob Van Winkle of Callaway Drive when I'm 48. I'm 33 right now. I refuse to be this dickhead in 15 years, so it's time for a quick whittling down of whatever that instinct is. So I'm going to try to bottle it, but as the great Tupac Shakur says, don't push me. Thank you for listening to however much of this you did. I, We've rambled for a long time here, folks. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you have a good week. I got some really good guests coming up soon of course uh, the, the Bomb Diaries regular Joey Alanese is coming I've got a couple other buddies one of whom was just in a very crazy show incident a very crazy show confrontation incident where a guy rushed the stage and threw a beer on him and all kinds of other shit you're going to hear about all of that mayhem when I get a chance to talk to him and we got a few new guests with some great stories very funny thanks again I can't thank you enough for listening to this shit it it it, it means it means everything, and it's it's a lot of fun to, to do what we can to try to entertain you with these strange, strange stories that, that we grown-ups uh, are spending our nights living. So take care. Uh, talk to you soon. All
0: right, here we go, third take. <coughs> Real quick, Ali. Mm. You got me breathing with dragons, I cracked the egg in your basket, you bastard, I'm merely Manson with madness, now just imagine the magic I like to ask is don't ask for your favorite rapper, He dead, yes sir, amen, church. He dead, I killed him. amen, bitch, and this is rigor mortis and it's gorgeous when you die, I need recorded and a Morphe. is it's the matrix in my mind, I'm out the orbit, you an orphan and a hairdresser combined, I'm on the toilet when I rhyme and see the shit, then I decline, I climax when you begin it, then I end the cloud nine, and that's important when you morph into an angel when the My listeners reply and tell me that you're biting style You got a hell of an appetite, and I'm going be beer for a while. You buckle up before the ride, or never left if you can fight. We always making them double die. A suit and tie is suitable, and usual suicide. CSI just might investigate this fucking parasite. He Amen, hey, hey, that's what they're telling me. Aiming hey, at your celebrity. This is studio felony. Federal many. Terranium. Cool up for the 70s. Nigga paid tax eviction. Bitch, you been living in debt with me. Dad, I'm all in especially. Leave a call on this mother voice, mother. Say that he rest in peace. Leave chop for the recipe. Wrestling, that's irrelevant. Rather rest at your residence. Whistling to the melody. Can't think of a better day. Better be on your Q. It's just me, J Rock, Soul and Q. Solo system and barbecue. Nothing else you can do. Eat that. Yup, yup. Amen, I can't do it. Eat that. <laughs> Amen. 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 Got me breathing with dragons. I'll crack the egg in your basket. You bastard! I'm barely messing. Don't ask if your favorite rapper. Amen. Yup. Amen. I know.